0: Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Let's jump into Colossians chapter 3. We are um, journeying through Colossians, and I want to back up a little bit and just read the beginning of Colossians chapter 3 to give some context, and then we're going to jump into... Um, the passage for today Colossians 3 verse 1 anybody ready for some Colossians nice yes Michelle is ready for some Colossians lovely is anybody else ready for Michelle and Jonathan we've got got, Cassie's you already heard the first service so just ready to go okay well hopefully you'll get ready check it out Uh, Colossians 3 verse 1 says since then Uh, You have been raised with Christ set your hearts on things above we talked about that a few weeks ago where Christ is in other words, Stay focused on Jesus. Jesus is everything. He is seated at the right hand of God Also set your minds on things above not on earthly things And this is the reason because you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God when Christ who is your life somebody say Jesus is life Nice that's the title of our sermon series when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So he's talking about living a resurrected life. He's talking about uh, living a life that's hidden with Christ in God. And it's a powerful life, and it's an awesome life, and there is great freedom in that life. And you say, great, how do, I, how do I get to that? Well, verse 5 helps explain. This is how you do it. Put to death, therefore... Whatever belongs to your earthly nature. In other words, if you want to have a resurrection, you also have to have a funeral. You can't have a resurrection without a funeral. So there's some stuff, Paul says, specifically five things we talked about last week that you're going to need to put to death. Put to death these things that belong to your earthly nature. And he lists them out for us. He says, first of all, it's sexual immorality. Now, last week I pointed this out. This list is not only five things, but it's also five things that seem to be in a particular order. In other words, the most surfaced issue is at the top. And then he goes a little deeper and a little deeper and a little deeper and a little deeper. And so if you missed last week, check out the podcast. We really broke that down. We we even had special handouts and everything. I mean, it was like you guys are spoiled that week. So anyway, now we're back to no special handouts. You got to take your own notes. Just write it down. Um, but no, sexual immorality is at the very top. That's the, that's the surface sin. But underneath that, Paul says, there is something called impurity. And then underneath that is lust. And underneath that is evil desires. And finally, at the base of this is greed, which he says is idolatry. Verse 6, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. I think the King James says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming to the disobedient. We'll get back. We'll get back. And there's this positive, encouraging verse, you all are really stirred up by that, I can tell. So, we're, so we need to double back around and spend a little bit of time on that. I'll be back to that in a second. Verse 7 says, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now, somebody say, but now, but now, but now it's different, but now you must also rid yourselves. Okay, so, so he just gave us a list of five things that we're going to need to put to death. We need to kill some things in our life. To put it to death means to completely eliminate it. Sexual immorality ought to be eliminated from your life, from my life. It ought to be completely eliminated. And, and, and all of the things on that list, those are five things we've got to kill. But now he says, th- wait, but wait, there's more. There's another list. Another list, interestingly enough, of five things. Actually, in this chapter, there's three lists of five things. Just, 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 just for your information, so that you know, because I, I'm seeing this develop, and I'm like, man, I think God's trying to say something to us. Because the first list is five bad things we need to kill. The next list that I'm about to read is five bad things that we need to lay down. He says, rid yourself also. So there's a list of stuff we got to kill, but then there's a list of things we need to rid ourselves of or lay aside. It's um, it's apo. Tethemi, which means, apo means away from, and tethemi means to lay down. So lay these things down and walk away from them. But then there's a third list in uh, verse 12. It's not going to be on your screen, but he says, uh, Therefore, as God's holy people, chosen, holy, dearly beloved, clothe yourselves or pick up five things. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And I'm just kind of curious because... I I, I I like to find patterns. It's almost like in this chapter, there are five things we need to kill, five things we need to lay down, and then five things we need to pick up. And I'm just wondering if these, these things overlay or if they overlap. Like if thing number one on list number one correlates with thing number one on list number two, which correlates with thing number one on list number three. So my mind's kind of getting blown as I'm studying this. So here in a couple of weeks, we're g- I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have charts and graphs. I'm going to go all John Haggy on you. You're going to be crazy. There's like little lines and stuff, that going, you know, the, be a picture of the beast or something I don't know. But no like we'll like we'll, we'll we'll jump into it because I really feel like there's a there's there's a pattern that's being woven through these verses. I don't think it's any coincidence that each one of these lists contain five things which seem to be progressive in nature. Uh, so, so, the, so the list of sexual morality things to kill, he starts at the surface and he starts working down. But now it seems to me that this list, the list of things we need to rid ourselves of or lay aside, he says, he says, rid yourself of all things such as these, anger and then rage and then malice and slander and filthy language from your lips. He ends with lips. So I feel like he's starting on the inside now. And he's working his way out to the surface. Starts with anger in your heart. Anger turns to rage, according to uh, the Incredible Hulk.
1: Rage to fury.
0: No, I don't know. Um, you know, like, like I think I, th- I think he's moving toward something, starting on the inside of us, working toward the outside. Ultimately, though, just so you know, the number five in scripture is the number for grace. It's the it's it's the numerical. It's the in, 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 in biblical numerology, number five is the number for grace. So in all of these lists, the point is grace. The point is the power of God working in your life to bring about a resurrected new creation in Jesus. The point is not to condemn anybody, make anybody feel shame, or beat anybody up. The point is grace. And so throughout this whole chapter, we got grace, grace, and grace. It's, it's pretty awesome. I mean, you know, so the number three is also super important. Uh, you can do a little study on that if you like. But three lists of grace three times. Grace in the things we must kill, grace in the things we must lay down, and grace in the things we must pick up. God's got us covered in grace. And so I want you to walk away from this service encouraged, I want, to, but I also want to give you some tools for using the grace of God. It's great to have grace, but when you put it to work... When it starts working in your life, that's where the power of God is finally seen. And so that's why he's giving us this list of things we must uh, lay down. Uh, but the very first thing he says we must lay down is anger. Is that up there? But now rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger. Anger, man, there's a lot of anger going around today. There's a lot of anger. All week long, I've, just, I've been dwelling on this word angry. Not that I've been angry, but I've been dwelling on. By the way, all of us deal with anger. You might say, I'm not really an angry person. Yeah, you are. (laughs) No, I'm not. Yeah, you are. No, I'm not. Yeah, you are. No, I'm not. See, I told you. You, Like all of us deal, because anger is a part of human emotion. It's 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 not necessarily evil in and of itself. It's a part of what it means to be human. We all deal with anger. Some of us direct our anger outwardly. And that's called being aggressive. Some of us direct it inwardly. And that's where depression and anxiety, pushing things down. But we all have some anger that that we deal with. Now, this is not an anger management class. I'm not a specialist in this. Just from a biblical standpoint, Paul says we need to lay aside anger. So I've been dwelling on that, thinking about that. And uh, this past week, we had... um, Family Fun Day for us is on Friday. Uh, family Fun Day Fleming Friday is our, it's, it's my day off at of the church. Ro actually gets somebody else to do stuff with the horses, take care of the farm. We don't do any homeschooling on that day. Um, we just take that day off as a family. Um, and I don't do ministry. We don't, we don't do that. We, we just focus on our little Fleming family. Uh, it's my kid's favorite day of the week. It's probably my favorite day of the week, except Sunday's really close. I don't know because I love preaching, and I love and I love worshiping, um, and now that football is in season, I mean, it just pushes that right over the top. I really think, like, Sunday afternoon football is, is just from the Lord, this is clearly from the Lord, it is it is it's just it's resting it's it's sabbath i mean it's It's. it's awesome so i so I, sunday's kind of up there but friday is a great day and we we're, we always we're, we're a little bit lazy on friday so i usually sleep in a little bit um the kids are always up before me they're like i don't know hanging out with roe downstairs whatever you do at 7:30 a.m um i am not a part of that that is not of the lord um the lord is sleeping at that time so i'm usually i, I sleep in a little bit uh then then i come downstairs and usually i take the kids to starbucks um because it's just kind of dad and and kid time and we go to starbucks and lately rose been going which is really fun i'm a quality time person i love for her to join us um, now the kids don't know this yet but i go to starbucks every day <laughs> They think it's just Friday, you know. Um, but no, it's just like Friday that I bring them along with me. And um, anyway, I, I, I kind of have a close relationship with Starbucks. Everybody at the beauty of Starbucks, they know me. They say, I'm not really that friendly. Um, I'm not usually that outgoing. I'm not unfriendly. I'm just, you know, like... <laughs> I mean, I haven't even had my coffee yet. Like, just like, like, thank you. Nice to me. Yes, great. That's my name. Um, thank you for the espresso. Anyway, what, the way that I do it, because I am a gold member of Starbucks. Um, gold star member, I think, is my official title. Um, anyway, I have an app. And on my app, I can order my espresso, like, before I leave. So I've timed it to where when I order it at the end of my driveway, <laughs> like, it's ready right about as I pull in there. And so, like, I don't, I don't wait in line with the commoners. I have my app, you know, so I just pass right on by all of those. Those. Apparently they like waiting. I don't know. They just like standing in line doing nothing. Uh, but I just go straight through. I get my espresso, and and this past Friday was no different. You know, I I order espresso and a cookie for Micah and Madden. They they share. Ro doesn't get anything. She doesn't like coffee, so she just kind of goes to hang out with us. And so we get there. We walk in. They get a table. I go over, grab my espresso. I walk back to the bar because I have to put some sweetener in it and a little bit of cream, you know. And 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 I and I grab the cream container it's like those big metal things and, and, it's, and I start pointing, and it's completely empty there's no cream in it because some lovely person some thoughtful person just like dumped it into their cup and just left it there like, like I don't like the the cream fairies were going to come and just fill it up somehow. I don't know what they were. Anyway, no, I wasn't angry um, because honestly, I wasn't even awake enough to be angry. I was like, I, I twenty minutes ago, I was in bed, you know. So I'm just like, I'm just like, oh, that's empty. And so, I mean, plus I've done, I've probably done the same thing or similar things where I'm not really thinking ahead. I'm just like, oh, that's good for me, and I go, you know. So I, I get it. So anyway, so so I'm and, and I do this. I'm a regular, they all know me. well, what you do when it's empty is you walk back you like you take two steps this way and you go back to where the baristas are, and you just kind of stand there there's a spot this is this is this is f y i there's a spot right next to the cash register that's just empty. it's this a big empty counter spot. that spot is for people who are out of cream. it is like if you're a regular like you you know this you know uh, now if you're not i mean. Fine, you know, just you get yeah, you'll figure it out, or you'll just be confused the whole time. But anyway, there's a spy. that's just and so and so they were really busy. The is running around, and that's cool. So I'm just I'm just standing there, just kind of waiting, you know, for her to like look up and see me and be like, oh yeah, okay, because this happens frequently. So I'm standing there, and apparently there was somebody who is not used to being at Starbucks. I don't think he's ever been. He's definitely not a gold member. <laughs> Um, who was like in line. I didn't really I didn't even see him because he's in a totally different part of the store. He's right here, you know. Like this line is entirely different than this spot. Like the cash register is right there. So he's he's over here and I, I didn't even see him. I'm just standing here just kind of waiting and 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 I hear behind me, uh, excuse me. And I'm like, you know, I, I'm still kind of waking up. I'm like, I don't, know, I don't know. So so I so I turn around and there's this you know, Big Text is like, you know, got his hand out, one hand on his hip, and he's like, you know, and I and I'm like, do do I do I know this person? Like all the thoughts that go through your mind, like, does he go to City Chapel? Am I supposed to hug him? Like I'm trying to think, <laughs> you know, he doesn't look happy. Maybe he's one of the ones that left City Chapel. Oh no, he's gonna, you know. So I'm I'm like but you know all that process happens pretty slow when you're still sort of groggy and waking up. And so finally, it sort of dawns on me. I'm just kind of staring at him, and I'm like, and then it dawns on me, oh, he thinks I'm cutting him off in line. Like, I already have my coffee. Like, I'm, you know, no, no, I'm not. So, so, so I'm like, oh, man, it's all good. I'm, I'm just, and he cut me off. He's like, well, I'm good. And I was like, well, P.S., I don't think he was good. <laughs> <laughs> I think he, it's called sarcasm. Lucky for him, though, I am well versed in sarcasmese. I, I speak this fluently. I, it's just—it's a second language to me. I'm like, so I was like, so I was like, uh, well, well, good. I'm glad you're good. I'm good. You're good. We're all good. And so I just turn around and I just wait. You know, I don't know what he did or didn't do. I'm not really sure because, honestly, that's kind of how I approach people who are just sort of angry for no reason. It's like. All right, you know, I mean, like if, you, if you're in Austin traffic, there are some people that are so, they get so angry. It's like, oh no, there are other cars on the road. You didn't expect this? It's Austin. Like, are you new? No, you're not new. This is you every day, Angry. Every day. Like, what is going on? At some point, doesn't something register that, you know what, there are going to be cars on the road with me. And they are going to create traffic. But anyway, I, like, I don't know. But, but it's, it's interesting to me how, how so many people, especially nowadays, there's so much anger, like, just under the surface to where little things, uh, traffic, uh, somebody apparently getting a creamer. The creamer thief is, uh, is incredibly intrusive. So, so you know, so I was like, wow, he's kind of upset. Like, I don't know if he had the Tennessee Titans on his fantasy football team last night. I mean, maybe that was it because, you know, Fournette did all right for me. And so anyway, I go I go and sit down. But I realize, man, like he just gave me a great little sermon illustration to start off this talk about anger, uh, because all of us, I think, can, can at least identify with with seeing anger, feeling anger within ourselves as well. And God specifically says, this is something I want you to lay down and so as we talk about anger um uh i, w- I want to start off in verse six which i think is probably one of the weirdest verses to start off in um so it must be a good idea verse six says because of these the context okay the context of killing stuff on the first list list sexual immorality lust all that stuff the context, the reason why we need to do that is verse six because the wrath of god is coming the anger of god is coming that's the context of the, the first list, and it's actually what sets up also the second list. It's the bridge between the two lists, the tr- this truth about God, that his anger is coming. Now, I know as soon as I say that, some of you are like, oh boy, here we go. We are in, officially in church because somebody just talked about God being mad. Um, and, 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 I, and I think I, I understand that because many of us came from a background where it seemed like God was always mad. It seemed like, he started off the day mad before he got his coffee, and then he was still mad when somebody cut him off from apparently getting a, his coffee. And, and he just, he's just constantly, his, his general disposition is anger. And I want to let you know like at City Chapel, we are constantly fighting that false idea of God because it is so offensive to who he actually is to a loving father who gave himself for us. He didn't have to. He didn't do it grudgingly. He did it because he desired us. And so his, I think it's such, it's so offensive to the true nature of God to imagine that he's up there just waiting for us to mess up so he can bonk us over the head, and he's just mad all the time. This is not God in Scripture. This is not God that we read about, and this is not God that we experience. So that version of God is really, it's an evil God. He's kind of sadistic because he creates people, he knows they're going to mess up, and then he just enjoys destroying them for it. So it's very, it's, it's, it's so unworthy of him. It's so unworthy of him, because this is not the way that he is. Uh, However, some of you maybe didn't come from that background, and maybe you came from more of a modern culture, which has an interesting twist to the nature of God. And so instead of saying that God is angry all the time, and he's just fearful, you ought to be afraid. Instead, this version of God is a God who's never angry. You know, like... Like, like, kind of at the end of the age, he's just going to get everybody in for a big group hug. We're going to hug it out, fist bump. And we're just going to go on into heaven, yeah. Peace, love, I mean, everything, like, it's all good. And it, that's an interesting version of God. I was talking to somebody one time, and they said, and I quote, I feel, <laughs> that's always a wonderful start. I feel that Jesus, God's smiling all the time. And I was like, 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 like all the time? Yeah, just smiling all the time. Like a permanent. He just smile. All the time. Yeah, he's smiling. Really? Like t- 24-7. Yeah, he's smiling all the time. And I was like, Why well, I don't th- I can't get behind that. <laughs> it's almost like, you know, it's like it's it's like you have the whole old testament where God was looking for his meds, couldn't find them. Finally in the New Testament, he got it, and oh, he's smiling all the time. Look, if you're smiling all the time, something is wrong with you. And like you need professional help. I'm sorry. I am. I cannot prescribe anything, but you need some because it's not normal. Nobody should be smiling all the time. If you're smiling all the time, something's wrong. Now, does God smile a lot? Sure. Is the smile is he joyful? All that kind of stuff. But for a God who smiles all the time, it's actually, it's actually quite twisted as well. Because, I mean, that, that, I mean, I guess that's fine if you live isolated in your little Austinite bubble where lots of things there are to smile about all around us. But, I mean, you just have to zoom out a little bit. Or even just walk down, di- you know, different streets than you normally walk down. That your privilege doesn't want you to go down. Just walk down some different streets and you'll find there's some suffering in Austin. Is God smiling while homeless people are on the street? Is God smiling while children are trafficked from one brothel to the next? Is God? No, he's, I don't think that he is. I, 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 I actually think he's kind of ticked off at some of this stuff. He's not smiling as Kim Jong-un is like enslaving half his people and throwing the other half into concentration camps. And North China is burning more mosques and churches right now and taking Christians and Muslims into concentration camps. God's not smiling as Christians are beheaded on beaches in the Middle East. God's not smiling as people are abused and taken advantage of and corruption is rising to the highest level of governments in several different continents and everyone is out for themselves. God's not smiling as corporate greed is destroying people families and lives and savings god's not smiling god is the defender of the weak. god is god is god is the one who is the husband to the widow god is the father to the fatherless god stands up for those who can't stand up for himself he's not smiling at everything and so to say that god's just happy all the time literally like you must imagine that either god is dumb like he's just ignorant, he doesn't see it all, or he's like the Joker, you know, the more Gotham burns, the more he just smiles, because he loves chaos, and anarchy, and destruction, and he doesn't love either of those things. You and I were not created for injustice, we were not created for anarchy, we were not created for the survival of the fittest. Scripture tells us that we were birthed in love, out of love, with love as our primary focus and, and connection, and the heart of God is grieved when that is twisted and destroyed and and and, and bent and ruined. Uh, and, and and if you have this view, it's it's very difficult for me to imagine that God's just going to you know fist bump Hitler on his way into the golden streets. Like really, Stalin slaughtered forty million of his own people, and God's just smiling. My little, my, my little Stalin, he tries. He really does. He's got a couple of errors, but he's, 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 he's going to figure it out. No, man, the dude's evil. Like, can't, can't you just call it for what it is? And, and No, because it gets really weird when you have a God who's just going to let everybody in for all kinds. of. I mean, I do I have to live next to Hitler? Like, who's going to get to be on that street? That's what I want to know. <laughs> a socialist on one side, a communist on the other. This is going to be fun. Like, I don't think heaven's going to be that great if it's just going to be all the same evil, twisted people that I was trying to escape down here. The scripture paints a much different picture. Just read the book of Revelation. God is a God who loves justice. He loves making things right. See, people often ask me, they're like, well, how can a God who's good and all-powerful allow all these bad things to happen? And that's a good question. It really is. And my answer to that is, well, just wait and see. It's a good question. It's just the wrong time. The scripture tells us that God is not allowing anything. I mean, his patience is allowing it, but his justice is not allowing it. He's, he's not going to gloss over all of this stuff and just, just allow evil people to continue to be evil. He is going to step into human history, and he is going to bring justice to the entire world. And he is going to repay the victims, and he is going to punish the perpetrators. And I, personally, that's kind of a good thing. Personally, I have a thing inside of my heart that yearns for justice. Like, it's like I was born with this thing inside of me, this image of God that, that, that is yearning for somebody to do something to make it right. And you see this actually, like, recently, when Epstein apparently hangs himself in his cell. There's this huge outcry. I read so many articles from New York Times, CNN, everybody, about how, man, he escaped justice. Where's justice for his victims? How are they going to have closure? And, and as I was reading that, I was like, man... It's true if you believe in a God who's just going to pass over everything and everything's cool, then yeah, he totally escaped justice. But I happen to, like like Colossians chapter 6, because of these, the anger of God is coming. And, 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 and it's a serious thing. It's a powerful thing. Dude, Epstein did not escape anything. He, he, he skipped some stuff. You know. He skipped an inferior court with an inferior judge, with an inferior jury with inferior witnesses and inferior evidence, and ultimately an inferior sentence. Yeah, he, when he went straight to the top. The dude went straight to the courtroom where all of his billions can't buy him anything, where he can't pay off anybody. It's just, it just burns up, and now he doesn't have any of that. And there's no jury to convince because there's no argument to be had because his judge is also the primary witness to his crimes. That's what scripture says in the Old Testament. It talks a lot about how God's everywhere. You know, you can't hide from him because if you do something in the dark, you think he won't see you. No, his darkness is like light to him. If you go, to, if you go down to hell thinking you can escape from his, he knows where you are. He's, he is literally physically present as you are committing your crimes. Not only that, but Jesus said, as much as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. So the witness and the victim is the judge. <laughs> I, he was in the gas chambers. He was. He was there. He was. He was at the place of abuse. He was there. He was at the place of trafficking. He was. He was literally there, and that's why he's so angry. You and I don't get as angry about stuff because we read about it or we hear about it, but if you are there, and now. We all, and it's not just Epstein, because all sin is sin, and everyone is is leveled at the foot of the cross. We all need the forgiveness of God, but I'm telling you, man, we need forgiveness because God is just, and he will make everything right. And the hope of of the apocalypse, the unveiling of God, the second coming of Christ is that he's going to step into this crazy messed up world and he's going to right every wrong. He's going to fill in every valley and take down every mountain and everyone will be justly judged by him. And that's his anger. And what's interesting to me is how it is his anger that's coming, which, by the way, is this future tense. So those who say God's always angry, well, you haven't—you didn't actually read the verse. His anger's coming. So it's not here yet. It's building up because of all of the things listed above, all the evil stuff that's going on. His anger's coming. And then he says, you used to walk in this, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all things such as these, starting with anger. Isn't it kind of odd? I've already kind of started to meddle, so I might as well just jump right into it. This is... This is something God does periodically that sort of annoys people. He, he, he sets a rule and then he breaks the rule. Have you noticed that? He says in the Old Testament, he said, I am a jealous God. Scripture, he says, I'm a jealous God. And then he says, Don't you be jealous. <laughs> now, now, here he says, His anger's coming, so don't you be angry. I know, it's getting real quiet. All religious people, just go and block your ears. Because here's what we typically do with that. It's like we, don't under, we see the tension, but we don't understand the tension, so we just move along. Because, well, God is God, and I guess he does whatever He wants. So I don't know. But, man, like, if you want to get kicked out of Sunday school, just raise your hand and say, uh, 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 Mr. Smith, uh, uh, how come God breaks his own rules? <laughs> how come he says not to be jealous, and then he is jealous? says not to be angry, and then he is angry. (laughs) A lot of people won't, they will not like that. Because what you're doing is you are recognizing the tension that's in the written text. And it's not comfortable for us because, I don't know. It's like a double standard. We don't like double standards. But, But we don't know what to do with it, so we skip on. So I don't want to skip on because I'm just... Dumb enough to jump on in and like, hey, let's just go for it, which is interesting because a lot of people uh, that come to City Chapel, they, they often say, man, you know, your sermon was good, and then we didn't really know where you were going there in the middle, and then you kind of brought it back together at the end. That's usually that's a, over and over again, and at first I was really confused because I was like, do I stutter too much? Am I, am, I, am I too, like... Convoluted and it's too confusing too ambiguous. I don't think I was like I try to use like real little words You know and like, really easy to understand and I'm like, how do people not know where I'm going and then it then I they hit me That in Texas when they say we didn't know where you were going That's the nice way of saying we thought you were completely off track <laughs> Like you were like in no-man's land bro. You're like, this rabbit trail like you were wrong. Like, we don't agree with you. That's what they're saying. We don't know where you're going. That's a nice way of saying it. we don't agree with you. But then you kind of brought it along, and we were like, oh, I guess I hadn't really thought of that before. And so, and so that's, just, that's just what I do. I generally, like, find something and just poke my finger in it and say, look, you, you really need to see this because actually, actually, this is a great way to get closer to God in your own Bible study. When you come across something that seems to not make sense, boom. That is, to me, a massive highlight in Scripture that says, wait a minute, if that doesn't make sense to me, there's something wrong with the way I'm thinking. Because this is true, and so I disagree with this at its core why is God getting this double standard thing going on? Why is, he, why is he setting the rule, then breaking the rule, and being like, well, it's okay because I'm God? That's not, that doesn't sit well with me. i got to figure out what's going on here. And so as I've studied this and looked into it, one of the things I've found is that there is a double standard, and you should really be thankful for that. There's a standard for being God, and there's a standard for not being God. You ought to be glad that those are different standards, you know, <laughs> because the enemy would love to try to keep you to a standard of being God and then you live under condemnation because you never quite hit it. So the best thing to do is release that and say, okay, there's, there, there is a double standard. But why? Why is there a standard difference? I think the main difference is that the way God establishes what we call rules, he doesn't call them rules, but what we call rules, the way he sets up rules is different than the, than the way we set up rules. So if we were to set up rules, let's say we were going to get together, the 11 o'clock service, we are going to decide what it means to be a good city chapelite. That's a good biblical word, city chapelite, city, city Light, <laughs> it sounds like city. it's like, uh, it's, 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 not, it's not quite as heavy as the nine o'clock, you guys are a little bit lighter. Uh, see, if we're, we're going to be city chapelites, what's a good city, chapler, city chaplain look like? And we would come together, we would describe the ideal person, or the ideal act, behavior, and then we would say, okay, so let's draw our conclusions from the ideal, none of us are there, but... We're going to try, we're going to, you know, we're going to, re- and, and, and that's our version of law in order. That's our version of creating rules. Well, God doesn't do that. When God sits down to communicate laws to people, he's not telling us what the ideal person would do in a situation because he is the ideal person. Instead, he's telling us how to live in relationship with him. All of his laws They're not not rules. They're instructions for how to enter into and maintain a relationship with God. And so he tells us things about who he is, and then he tells us what that means for us. So he says, I am jealous, and because I'm jealous, you cannot be jealous. Which is also why God's, quote, rules don't make sense to people who don't want to be in a relationship with him. Because they're only useful if you want to be in a relationship with this being, with this God. And so to understand who he is, that he is jealous. Now, the, 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 the definition of jealous means to be fiercely protective or vigilant of one's rights or possessions. So God's telling us that he is fiercely protective and vigilant over his possession, what he owns. And then you say, well, that's nice, but why can't I be fiercely protective over what I own? And the answer is you absolutely can. You can be fiercely protective. Over what you own. Totally. Because God is. So, therefore, it is good to be fiercely protective over what you own. So, let's make a list of everything you own. Let's just, let's just, let's just, just, just get out pen and paper. Let's figure this out. What do you own? Well, you know, I own my house. Why do you own your house? Well, because I bought it. You bought it from who? From a builder. So, who did the builder buy it from? Well, he didn't build it. He didn't buy it. He made it. How did he make it? Well, he went and got lumber and and some, um, some, some, some stones and s- bricks and stuff. Where did they get that? Well, from the quarry and from the, the lumber yard. Where'd they get it? Well, they took it from trees. Who made the trees? Who, who made the stones? God made it. Did they buy it from God? No, because was, it wasn't for sale. So they, they borrowed it, I guess we could say. Yeah, they borrowed it. On a temporary basis, because if you leave your house long enough, it'll return back to what it was. Nature has a way of just re- returning it back to what it was. Because it's all, it's all borrowed. It never, no house stands forever. It, eventually, the wood turns back into what it was, and, and the, the stones turn back, in, and it all goes back to what it was. In other words, like you sort of snuck into God's house, this is God's house, <laughs> grabbed his toilet paper, you know, and, like, a couple napkins, and you, like, built this little living shelter for yourself. And that's great, but what about when God needs his toilet paper back? Well, it's his, so he can take it. So, let's see. You're living in a borrowed house with, made with borrowed tools on a borrowed piece of dirt in a borrowed world, globe. Okay, fine. So, I can't own that, but, you know, and my car also was Toyota kind of Put that together with a bunch of rocks again, melted down, heated up. We call it steel, and a few other things. And 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 it was they 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 compiled things. They did they didn't create anything. So you can you can own whatever you made, whatever you created, whatever you own scot free. That's what you own. And the problem is, I don't own my house. I don't own my car. But at least I own like my spouse, right? Like I can be jealous over my spouse. And it is true that there's a certain level of jealousy for, for. Uh, the commitment you've made to each other, that's good. But, look, sir, you don't even understand her. You definitely didn't make her. Because if you made her, you would understand her. You would know how she works. You don't know how she works. I'll just tell you right now. I don't know. like, Because none of us made and, and our spouses. We didn't make them. God made them, which means you can't control them. They don't belong to you. They are their own person. And they're going to stand before God by themselves, not with you. And so they're their own person. You can't control them. You can't order them around. You're not in charge of them. Like, like it's good to have family relationships and connection and commitments and vows to each other. Absolutely. But, but, but be careful that you don't become jealous over what is actually God's because God made her. The question is, how are you treating God's daughter? It's Probably the better question. How are you treating his creation? Anyway, so fine, I don't own my spouse, but I probably own my kids because I kind of helped make them. (laughs) Yeah, your contribution was real small. (laughs) And God did this amazing miracle. I mean, literally, God takes credit for the creation of children. In Psalms, he says, I knit you together in your mother's womb. I did that. Your mom didn't do that. Your dad didn't do that. I did that. I made you. Oh, man. So he made my kids. That means he also made me. That means he owns my body. But, I mean, surely I own my own thoughts, right? I mean, I made those, right? Kind of with the synapses that he's loaning you right now and the, and the connective tissue that he's letting you borrow. If you want to call that your own, I mean, I guess you're using it right now, but it is not your own. Well, maybe I own my own spirit, at least. No. Scripture tells us that when God made man a living soul, he breathed his breath into them. And Jesus said that when we die, the spirit returns to the one who lent it. So our spirit is really breathed from God. It's his. We're borrowing our own spiritual existence. So, we got the list of everything you own. That's all the stuff you can be jealous <laughs> over, fiercely protective of. I think it might be the same level of list of Kerryon Johnson's touchdowns so far through two games, but I'm just saying, I don't know. Zero. <laughs> nothing. You own Nothing. And when, and when, but the, the beauty of that is at first it's kind of like, oh, thanks a lot, Harry. Came to church and all I heard was I didn't own my house. Didn't even own my own wife and my kids and like, great, mine, I don't own my own head, you know. It's like, this is all God's. And it's just, I mean, how positive positive, encouraging is that? Well, it's kind of discouraging if you are seeking to possess something. Absolutely. But if you're seeking to enter into a relationship with a God who claims to possess everything, this is key that you recognize His ownership over everything. And then it's actually super encouraging. Because if God is fiercely protective over what he owns. And if he owns me, then he's fiercely protective over me. He knows what he put inside of me and whatever demon might come against me. He's fiercely protective over his own and his kids and his children and his family that he put together. He built this church. He built this person. He built this house that I'm living in. Because storms are bigger than me, but they're not bigger than him. And he's fiercely protective. Demons are bigger than me, but they're not bigger than him. And he's fiercely protective over what is his own. And So the beauty of once you get over yourself and get under him, you realize that there is such security in the shadow of his wings. It's like, wow, I, I don't have to be fiercely protective over what I thought was my own because somebody who is all-powerful already is fiercely protective. And it's the same thing with anger. He says, "Look, I'm already really ticked off about the injustice of the world. I'm already re- I am I am already stirred up about this and I am going to do something about this." And because I am so angry, you got to release your anger. Because when we have anger, when we hold on to it. By the way, not all anger is bad. It's anger is meant to be acted on immediately. So God may give you anger. You might get angry about, you know, how stagnant your family is. You know, like, I, I don't want to live like this. That's good. As long as it moves you to action. Good anger will move you to action quickly. Bad anger is the kind you pick up and carry with you for years. You carry it into Starbucks. And you know that short little guy with a flower t-shirt? <laughs> Trying to get his cream. You carry it. And then, then little things, though, little things set you off. You don't give room for the justice of God. Really, you don't trust God. I mean, really, that's the, that's the core. You don't trust that God is actually going to make everything right. You don't trust that God, from, from the highest office in the land to the richest person in the world, to the lowest slum in Kenya, God is going to make everything right. Right? And if you really trusted that, I'm not saying you would be idle and wouldn't do anything. I'm saying you would get angry and you would do something. You'd pack a kid's lunch on Tuesday night because the injustice of kids going hungry in Austin where there's so much food that is wasted every single day just ticks you off and you got to do something about it. That's why we do keep kids fed because, because we're angry at injustice. We can't live with ourselves with this. And that's why... That's why we go to Japan. That's why we give up our lives, because we're angry at injustice. We must fight to defend what is good. We must take out what is evil. We get angry and we do something. That's great. But the kind of anger that we carry is the kind of anger that eats us up from the inside. And you see this in the passage. If we go to verse 8, he says, man, you need to put, you need to lay down the kind of anger that you've been carrying. Lay it down, because if you don't, it'll turn into rage. Rage seems to me to be the next progression of anger. And rage means to boil over, and it's actually from the word to kill, because it kills your ability to think rationally. And you do things you don't want to do. You say things you don't want to say. You're not yourself, because you're not in control. If you keep carrying anger, eventually anger will carry you. And you are not going to like where it takes you. It's rage. It, It lashes out, and it's starting to boil. And then he says... You must lay down malice, which malice is interesting. Malice, um, the original word for malice is the word for evil, which we talked about last week, the word (laughs) kakos. It's because I'm trilingual. So I got Spanish, Greek, and English all in one. It's kakos. Now, it means evil, but it sounds a lot like something else which I've often equated with evil. So it just works for me as a preacher because just, it just sort of proves my point, which was not ever a real point. But anyway, and he says, man, but this is a different kind of cacos. Last week I talked about facing cacos, which means you always smell the, the, the junk in your life because you're always focused on it. But this is different. Have you noticed that not all cacos is distributed equally? <laughs> I'm just saying, some people got a lot more of it than others. There's a reason for that. We all got some of it. I mean, we're, we, we all have to live in this world where there's a plenty of it around. So we can be drawn and tempted to focus on it. And that's why I preached about last week. But this week, Paul says, there's a kind of cacos that is not around you. It is being produced by you. That anger turns to rage and it starts producing cacos around your life. Because you are doing it. In fact, people, man, like, it seems like some people that are so used to chaos, so used to chaos, so used to evil, so used to it, it's like if it's not there, they'll create it just so that they feel at home. They'll create. And really what's happening is they are creating out here what they feel in here. The rage that's boiling up here, they want to see it. It starts manifesting itself in their everyday lives. They're producing a lot of Cacos. Even in places where it wasn't before, they're bringing it to the table. It's coming out of them. And then he says, out of that evil also comes uh, slander, is what the NIV says, but the King James says blasphemy, which is really more appropriate. Slander sounds like something you, you do against somebody else, or you tear down their good name. But blasphemy is to speak evil about that which is good. So it could mean that, but I think it's much more than that. Because usually, this is just hypothetical. You know, say you're carrying anger around, and that's boiling occasionally into rage. You're lashing out at people and creating cacos in your relationships and in your home. and, and, And it's just, you know, eventually what happens is people don't like that. And they get sick of it. And you get lonely, and you get rejected, and there's a lot of issues going on. You get fired from your job a few times because your employer doesn't want to put up with it either. And so what happens is then you come and you say, Pastor Harry, why is God letting this happen? Why would God let this happen? Where was God? Well, he was he was watching you produce all this cacos. That's what he was doing. And he was like trying to wave you down, trying to say, Man, if you just release the anger inside of you, you'll stop producing the cacos around you. He was there and you were ignoring him. But the problem is, at some point we've produced so much cacos all around us that we have nobody else to blame. So we look up and we say, man, you're not doing your job up there because aren't you supposed to come in and clean this up every now and then? Aren't you supposed to like stop me from, from, from being crazy? Aren't you supposed to, like, where is God? And, and you start speaking evil about that, which is ultimately really good, is God. You don't get any better than God. And you start questioning his character. And this is as it's boiling, it's, it's moving up. And then finally, there's this thing called filthy talk coming out of your lips that's the very surface blasphemy can happen in your head by the way blasphemy does not have to be the use of like god's name along with some other bad word that's that that's not good but that's not technically blasphemy to blaspheme the holy spirit or to blaspheme god is to speak evil of that which is really good it's to question his his motives his character his faithfulness, his goodness, his justice, all of that. It, and, and so once, once you start doing that, then this thing called filthy talk starts coming out. And once again, if, if you talk to somebody about why you shouldn't cuss, they will usually bring you to this scripture and say, see, look, Colossians 3 says no filthy language, so stop your filthy language. And it's like, well, in modern, yes, in modern thought, filthy language would be cuss words. But do you really think that 2,000 years ago, filthy language meant the exact same thing? That's just contextually very strange. Certainly, you know, cuss words, it's not polite. I don't engage in cussing. But at the end of the day, God is more concerned not with the word that you use, it's concerned with what you're saying. Filthy language, filthy means unholy. When we start without God talk, we start talking about other people without the love of God, without the peace of God, without the, the faith that God has in us. When we start tearing other people down, that's what grieves the heart of God far more than a particular bad word. Oh, they said a bad word. God's really mad at that bad word they said. No, God's really, it's, it's, the, un, it's the unwashed words, whether they are cuss words or not, the unwashed ones, the ones that just came straight from the evil and the caucas in your heart that just... Puked, puking, vomit, which you can do, you can, you, can, you, can, you, can, you can do that kind of thing and never use a cuss word. You can tear people down and never use a cuss word. You can be jealous about other people and never, you can be envious. You can gossip and never use a cuss word. You can be in church and think yourself, oh, that doesn't apply to me because I've never, I don't, I, don't, I don't say those words. Oh, <laughs> well, lovely. Uh, the question is, <laughs> Are the words washed that are coming out of your mouth? Have they gone through the, the bathtub, if you will, of the Holy Spirit? Have they been washed by God? Or are they coming straight out of a heart that's still kind of angry about stuff? Still won't let go the stuff that happened 10 years ago. Still won't forgive, which he gets into here in the next few verses. It still holds on. Man, I got, you, you got to let it. You got to let it go. Some things you got to kill, but then there's some things you just need to let go. And the reason why you can't kill anger, because anger is a part of life. It's actually good on some level, but not the kind you hold on to. The kind you carry and hold on to, you have to let, let it go, lay it down. And that's going to be constant throughout your life. You're going to be of all these reasons to be angry. And each day, take it and lay it down. But you gotta start with your past. You gotta start with the long ago stuff that you haven't let go of. So, Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus and people watching online, people here in this room, Lord, I feel your spirit speaking to us and just gently asking us to lay some things down. You don't bash us over the head, you're not you're 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 not that way. You're gentle, you're peaceful, you're kind, and you desire us to, for us to be in relationship with you and our anger that we carry blocks us from you. It blocks us from hearing from you. It blocks us from seeing you. We don't even see other people clearly. When we're angry, we don't even see. We think people are attacking us when really they're just trying to help us. We lash out and we, we don't It's so deceptive. The anger of man does not lead to the will of God. It does not produce the fruit of the Spirit. And so, Lord, we release it. We lay it down. Whatever's been done to us, however we have been wronged or mistreated, Lord, we just trust you. You don't miss a thing. You are the judge of the entire world. You will do what is right. You will vindicate us. You will defend us. You are good. You're going to make everything right. You're going to deal from the craziness of Epstein or whatever. But even to my own heart and my own life, I mean, big stuff, little stuff, You nothing passes by you. You are fully aware of everything that's happened to us. You were there when it happened. And you were not approving just because you were silent. Now you are going to make it right. And we trust you with that. We trust you with our wounds. We trust you with our hurts. We trust you with our, with our mistreatment of ourselves and the stuff that's been unfair to us. We trust you. We're not going to, we release our anger so that your anger can come in and do what it's going to do. You can take out our enemies because technically we don't wrestle against flesh and blood anyway. It was a demonic presence that was trying to destroy us. That demonic presence is still around. That demonic presence moves with us from state to state, from city to city, from house to house. That's the real enemy, and we need your presence to combat that enemy. Stand up for your kids, jealously, jealously vindicate your possession, we submit to you because you're good and you're just. We find our longing for justice fulfilled in you and in your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.